Boost it. Boost it. Oh, yeah. Are you getting, are you practicing your, your sound effects? That's my buzzer noise for the quiz. I probably should have peed, guys. <laughs> There's no way to solve that problem. Nope. <laughs> We're doomed. Doomed. <laughs> From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. This week, Victoria Schwab. Victoria first came on our radar with her book Vicious, which came out in 2013. We actually interviewed her back then as well. Some of you super listeners may remember that. Since then, she has written a great number of excellent books, including the A Darker Shade of Magic series, which I highly recommend Her newest book is called This Savage Song, and I found this really great summary from the School Library Journal that described it as a post-apocalyptic urban fantasy with a Romeo and Juliet theme, which, like, I mean, that's a pretty good sell right there, right? Imagine a city at war with monsters. This is a place where you do not want to be just, like, wandering around at night. We have August Flynn, one of the main characters, who is a monster, and he's trying to pass in a world that hates monsters. And he does look human-ish enough that he can kind of get away with it. And then we also have Kate Harker. She is our Juliet. Her dad is the evil human king of monsters. And they're going to high school together. The story is pretty fast-paced. The premise is very fascinating. And as always, Victoria manages to throw her readers into the middle of the action, and she cuts no corners in creating a hypnotizing new world. Victoria consistently makes sci-fi and fantasy stories at their finest, and this woman is still less than 30 years old, so we have a lot more to expect from her in the future, too. Because we love this Savage song so much, and because it's been a while since we caught up with Victoria, we decided it was time to check in. I thought it would be really fun if we could start with a weird moment of remembrance, because in (laughs) fact you have been on Nerdette before, but it was like in the ancient days of Nerdette, and I feel like a lot of really crazy things have happened, not only in the course of Nerdette, but also in the course of your amazing career. Right. I think it's been about three years. Yeah, totally. It was October of 2013. So yeah, coming on three years. Isn't that nuts? You you judge time by time and I judge time by how many books I've had out. So yeah, how many books have you had out in that? That was my next question. It's been like, what, 17? (laughs) Yeah, we were, well, we were talking, not quite that many, but we were talking about Vicious, I think, at the time. Yeah, we were. I've since had Darker Shade of Magic and A Gathering of Shadows and now this Savage Song and some middle grades in there, too. goodness (laughs) yeah in just three years holy cannoli yeah yeah well I've been published for the last five years and I've had 11 books come out in those five years which is a little insane when you think about it especially considering that the gap between my first book and my second book was about 18 months Victoria it's more than a little insane I just want to be clear (laughs) on that I did also get a graduate degree in there. I feel like I should point that out. A master's in monsters? Yes, I actually, so I call myself a master of monsters with the aspiration (laughs) that one day I'll be a doctor of monsters. But technically it's a degree in medieval art history with a specialization in the depictions of monstrosity in the Mappa Mundi. And so I essentially, it works well for Savage Song because I essentially study monsters in art, and monsters in art are depictions of people's fears. They're never a reflection of actual monsters. They're a reflection of human culture at the time. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about this Savage Song. This is another YA novel that is still pretty grim for, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's there's a lot of intense violence in it still. I feel like it's worth mentioning. There is. 
There um, is. It's definitely, I'd say, you know, I think it says something that it comes out here in the U.S. as YA and in the U.K. as adult. But it is dark. I think so often we assign a clean rating to books if they don't have any sexual content. But I mean, it's a very violent book. It is. It's also, I think it's still uplifting in a certain way. I really loved it. I think mostly because of your two main characters who are on such opposite poles, but in really interesting ways. You have August Flynn, who is a monster, who's trying so desperately to pass as a normal, compassionate, good human. And he is essentially a good person. He's just a good monster, I guess. And, you know, he's kind of fighting with the darkness within him. And then you have Kate Harker, who is the daughter of a pretty bad guy. And she is fighting really hard to prove that she can be as bad as he is, even though she also is essentially a pretty good person. And so here they are kind of occupying these very different spaces, but still fighting so desperately to just be seen as normal, essentially. And then they're also stuck in high school together, which I think is just such a fun, great premise for just sort of where we all are in adolescence. When yeah, no one feels normal. In high no school. one's in their skin in high school. Anyone who says that high school is the best years of their lives either have not shot high enough or they're in denial. I think that high school brings out the worst, makes us all feel like we're on an island. You've said that this book is the most you. Why do you think that is? Um, I think I explore the notion of outsiders in all of my books, but this one, more than any other, deals with both a sense of not fitting in and of not feeling right in your skin and also of just anxiety. You know, it's something that I suffer with, and I decided to give both of my characters kind of very different versions of myself in that way. You know, Kate Harker experiences extreme anxiety that's stress-induced, and she tries to smother it and, and always be okay And August Flynn's own anxiety and fear combined with his hunger because he's trying not to feed because it makes him feel monstrous is kind of driving him into this circuitous thinking that leads to madness. And so I think this is the most me in that, you know, when I first started writing, everyone said an author has an avatar in a book, Mm. like a character that is the author. And the more books that I write, the more I realize that I don't have an avatar, that I think every single character is a facet of me. Mm -hmm. And so um, Kate and August are two very, very different facets of myself, and they're explored in different ways. And so I think closer to home than any of my other books. Were there moments that you remember being a teenager where you felt the most monstrous? (laughs) <laughs> oh, every single day. I, I never, I never, I like to joke and say that I went from roughly age eight to like 55 year old man. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, pretty much like an, I'm like an 85 year old man. Like I'm very get off my lawn about everything. Oh um, my gosh. I've, I like, kind of relish awesome my crotchiness. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, but I never fit in well. You know, I moved around a lot and I, um, I was always a bit of a social mimic. I didn't quite know how to behave around other people. And so in order to fit in, I just imitated. And I got very good at it and very good at reading other people and kind of just playing to the audience, whoever the audience was. But I um, I went from a very large public school in California to a tiny all-girls private school in Nashville. And I never, ever felt like I was naturally one of the crowd. And I think the the other thing with Kate and August is that Kate is capable of becoming the thing she thinks she wants to be. She can become a monstrous human. She can become a marked person if she commits these crimes, if she goes down the path that her father has. August cannot become a human. And so one of the questions in the book is this line between what can you change about yourself 
and what do you have to accept? And I think that's really important because so often this narrative that we put forward when we talk about change and otherness is that you can be whatever you want to be and change is always possible. And what these characters deal with is this notion of what should they change? If Kate is capable of change, does that mean she should do it? And does she have a moral obligation to do it or to not do it based on her own capacity? And then August, it's more about becoming comfortable in the parts of himself that he can't change. And certainly that's something that we first start to grapple with, most of us as teenagers, but that is a lifelong question (laughs) of the power to change the things we can and cannot is definitely... I think it's amazing that I'm obviously starting to get a lot of feedback from my readers. And while the majority of that feedback is coming from teenagers... I'm amazed by how much feedback I get from men and women who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s who are like, I see so much of myself in August or in Kate. And and I do think it's a reflection that this is a dilemma for most of us, this notion of the self and of identity and of who we want to be and who we are that is an ongoing struggle. You know, it's really fun following you on Twitter because you are, you're constantly sharing pictures of, like, amazing art and, like, tote bags and all sorts of things that your readers are making for you. I think that's so fascinating. And I know that fan art has been really rewarding for you. What's that like to see other people kind of take on the characters that you've created and, and see their version, their manifestations of them? Oh, I mean, it's wonderful. One of the reasons that fan art is my favorite thing to get is selfishly, it's really cool to know that you described a character well. (laughs) When I get a piece of fan art that is um, of Kel or of August or of Lila or of Kate, of these characters that I have such vivid ideas of in my head and I see them portrayed by somebody else exactly the way that I would have portrayed them, then it means that as a writer, I've done a really good job. But honestly, I just think it's one of the most surreal and most humbling things to have a reader feel strongly enough about your work that they carry it with them after it's done. I will never write the broadest commercial fiction. I will never write things that have just easy appeal across the board. The trade-off that I've made is that I am writing for the people who feel like outsiders. I'm writing for myself at different ages. And so Savage Song is the book that I needed at 17. And so maybe that's not going to appeal to everybody out there. Maybe we we all need different things. But if I can speak to the teens and the adults who needed it or need it the way that I did, then I've reached my audience. I've come to I've made peace with the fact that I'm never going to be, you know, Cassandra Clare. I'm never going to have this kind of like broad sweeping appeal, but it's a I'm glad of the deal that I made with my readers, which is that there will always be a place for them. You know, I want my readers to see themselves. Still to come, Victoria talks about the difference between writering and authoring. This is Nerdette. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson. Let's jump right back into our conversation with Victoria Schwab. The act of writing the book and the act of going on book tour are such different exercises in terms (laughs) of emotional bandwidth, right? 
And well, I, it's not just that. It's getting reviews as well, right? So in order to be a good writer, you have to be your most vulnerable on the page. You have to be able to strip off all of your skin and kind of lay yourself bare to get to the emotional core. And then when your book comes out to be an author, to get reviews and to go on tour and things, you have to put all of the skin back on and then put armor on top of it. Mm. And it's it's a really dichotomous process to be both. And I think it's one of the reasons that some people have a very easy time writing and a very hard time being an author. Yeah, I love that difference between writing and authoring. What are some of your coping techniques then? I mean, you mentioned you're an anxious person. I know, it, you know, one of the most rewarding things you can possibly do is interact with people who are responding really positively and making really strong connections to your work. But there is another side of that, which is just the, the exhaustion that can set in. How do you balance that out for yourself, especially when you're on tour, but even just when you're, you know, out in the world? And on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I think Twitter is kind of my safe social place because there I can step away at any time. I don't actually have to like speak and engage. I'm definitely an introverted person and and I think that I just have to know my thresholds. It's I do have a really good capacity for going out and interacting with people until the moment that I push <laughs> myself a little too far. I definitely had one of those nights on my most recent tour where it was so overwhelming and in in a lot of ways overwhelming in a very positive way in that I had a huge crowd. I had a lot of extraordinarily devoted readers there. And I just, you know, I, I have to know my limits sometimes. And I kind of just went over it a little bit. Sometimes it's a stimulus thing. And sometimes it's more just that I'm trying to be 100% present for every single person. I'm very aware of the fact that they've traveled to this event and they've waited in line. And I want to make sure that everyone has a unique and extremely personal experience. And it's hard when you have a limited amount of resources when it comes to emotional energy. And so I have to be careful when I'm on tour because if I run out before I have time to replenish, then it's just like, it's an exhausting process. You're going on these tours too, and so people are interested in the most recent thing you did, but a lot of them probably first discovered you with an earlier project. And so they probably have very fresh in their minds a specific moment from something you wrote maybe a long time ago now or or at least isn't the most recent thing. What's it like to have to keep all those characters and all those universes rattling around in your head all the time? <laughs> it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming because of the way that publishing works. I'm usually working on a thing at any given time. I'm drafting a thing that won't come out for 18 months, editing a thing that will come out in nine, plotting a thing that will come out in two years, and promoting things which have come out in the last five. And so on my most recent tour, I the day that Savage Song came out, I had at about 1 a.m. that morning just finished the latest passive edits on A Conjuring of Light, which is the third book in the Shades of Magic series. And then to go on tour during release week is a big challenge because you haven't spoken about the book yet. And so it's it's tricky making sure that I I'm kind of in a place to talk about all of them. And of course, like something like the Shades of Magic series is tricky because I'm working on the third and final book and I don't want to give any spoilers. And so I'm trying to talk about the first two books without <laughs> talking about where the series ends. And with Savage Song, the sequel Dark Duet, which comes out next summer. Um, and we just revealed the title today, which is nice because I kept almost saying it on tour. <laughs> but like, you know, a lot happens in that book that I can't talk about. And so I kind of am looking forward to the point where I actually get to go on tour for series that are finished. Oh, I bet. And people have had time to read them all because in my head, I actually construct my stories from the ending back. Yes, thank you. So I 
I write the ending first and I know exactly who my characters are on the very last page so that I can rewind them and see who they need to be on the first page. And so it's very hard for me to talk about books and series because I know exactly where everyone's <laughs> going and everyone else is reading the series front to back and I've worked on the series back to front. <laughs> and so I feel like we're speaking these two different languages. And I mean, people would say that they would want the spoilers, but of course they don't because no. of course they don't really want to know ahead of reading I don't it. want them to have the spoilers. I work so hard to write the story in a way that it evolves naturally. I'm still always amazed. Every now and then one of my readers will pick up a book out of order. What? So I have this like oh, by accident. Uh, a lot of people have read Gathering of Shadows before A Darker Shade of Magic. Wow! And I'm like, that can't. They're like, oh no, no, it was still fun. And I'm like, no, but I didn't write it that way. <laughs> I wrote it for you to meet these people in a specific order and for you to experience this in a certain way. So it's it's a bit of a challenge for me to engage with readers in a way that's not spoilery. Wow. I bet it's going to be really fun when the third book comes out and you're finally going to be able to be like, I know, right? <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so we have A Conjuring of Light coming out. Do you know what the release date February is on February 21st. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And then yeah. Dark Duet. Okay, so Dark what Duet are the other... Be out next summer. Tell us the other like 17 books that you're working <laughs> on then. I have, I have seven. You have um, seven. <laughs> so... Then I have two middle grade novels that I can't really talk about yet, so I'll have to keep those secret. But the thing following Conjuring of Light that I'm most excited about is a book I've actually been working on for about six years, on and off, kind of in between my other projects, and it's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. And it's going to be, I think, like my next big tour title. It's about a love story between a French girl and the devil over 300 years. What? Right. Uh, so it's about a French girl named Addie who sells her soul for the ability to live forever because she lives in one of those tiny Breton villages in the late 1600s where you can look up and your whole life has passed you by. And so she's, you know, in her early 20s and she's afraid of not ever experiencing anything. And so she makes this deal with the devil and the devil doesn't want to make the deal because he only gets half of your soul on signing and half on delivery. <laughs> so if you want to live forever, he will never get the second half of the soul. And so in her haste, she essentially says, you can have the second half when I don't want it anymore. And he blesses her to live forever and subsequently curses her to be forgotten by everyone she meets. <gasps> Whoa. And so he becomes the only constant in her entire world. And so, yeah, it's a weird weird story that's kind of set in modern day Brooklyn when she's about 300 and she meets a boy a bookseller who remembers her name the next day and so he's the first person in 300 years who's remembered her and um, it turns out he's made his own deal with the devil and he has a very ticking clock and so it's about which one of them will end up giving up the second half of their soul. Oh my God, Victoria, I just love your brain so much. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. So Victoria, here's the deal. We're going to have you back on in two and a half years and we're going to talk about all the amazing things that have happened to you in that time frame. We'll just keep oh, checking so in, hope. put it on your calendar. <laughs> I so hope. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on Nerd Out. It was really, really fun to talk with you. Of course, it's a total blast. I'm always happy to talk with you guys. That's Victoria Schwab, who's written a great many books, and you should read all of them. You should, really should read all of them. Her most recent book is called This Savage Song. Greta, in just a minute, dun, you are going dun, to dun, be dun, subjected dun, dun, to a pop quiz. Pop quiz, really? A lady nerd of history pop quiz. Oh, man. Can I study? No studying allowed. Okay. 
All right, Greta, you've had one minute of warning, and that is all. <laughs> it is time for a pop quiz, Lady Nerd of History edition. Oh, man. But I am not quizzing you. I'm just going to sit here and be the peanut gallery because this quiz was crafted by the one and only Annie, our intern on Nerd Up Podcast. Intern Annie is here. Say hi. Hey, guys. I am Intern Annie. (laughs) My first name is now Intern. (laughs) I feel like we do call you Annie. We're not just like, hey, Intern. (laughs) Yeah, I think that works better. Yeah. Okay, good. So a lot of times when we've talked about a great leader of history under debt, either Greta or I have done a lot of research and found somebody from history that we found fascinating and we've told you dear listener all about that person but annie the intern (laughs) has a great lady nerd of history to teach us about and she's going to quiz you greta and like you're going to by hearing facts that kind of get more and more specific about her try to figure out who this great lady nerd is annie's ready for you when you are ready greta all right annie are you ready yes our Jane Doe today. She's an economist and she's also a theorist, and you'll probably know her because she's a well-known author. She wrote one of my favorite short Ooh. monster novels. Monsters. Ooh, monsters. Okay, well, I'm gonna guess Mary Shelley then. No, but I feel like they would be they would probably be friends. Oh man. Oh, this is good. When you guess you get like follow-up hints. This is good. Sh- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A short story about monsters. To give you a hint, I think you might get it after this. She had postpartum depression, and because of that, she was prescribed bed rest. And it sounds like it's kind of a good thing, right? For Greta, you get to lie in bed. Yeah, man. (laughs) I wouldn't mind bed rest. Yeah, you get to read, you get to write, you probably get to watch Stranger Things. Netflix. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Well, you can't do any of that. Mm, I don't know who this is. Yeah, Greta, let's keep in mind that bed rest is not the flat life because they were forbidden, these women on bed rest, from doing anything. Right, right. No, I know I would have lost my mind on bed no rest knitting. back in the day. Mm-mm. Can I be told what era this is? Yes. The turn oh. of the 20th century. Mm, that didn't help me, actually. <laughs> I'm glad I asked, but I still don't know. Do you have more yeah. fun facts? Yes, I do. Definitely. Her book was about her postpartum depression experience in bed rest. And that book was about the monsters that came out while she was in bed rest. It was like a semi-autobiography fictional deal. Wow. It sounds really good and intense. Trisha, did you know who this person was? Once I got all the way to the end... And was told the answer. I realized I have read this story. I read it in school. You may have read it in school. Monsters like you might have read it in college. Man, I, I really have no idea. Can I hear more about her, though? Yes. Our Jane Doe, she also wrote a book about women and economics. And this is when her theories came in. She basically said women aren't well respected for like the work they do in the domestic household. Like, yeah. Women um, are expected to cook and clean and do all those things and they don't get paid for it. And because of that, they're not valued by their spouse. And that kind of adds on to like where they stand in like their marriage and the political powers there. Way cool. What's it called? It's called Women in Economics. Ah, Saucy title. Man, I've learned so many things. And she wrote a book about monsters? She wrote about monsters and economics. She sounds great. Is her first name Helen? No. I have no idea. All right. So it is... 
Dun, 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 dun. It is Charlotte Perkins Gilman, and she wrote the monster postpartum depression book, and it's called The Yellow Wallpaper. Wow. Three names. Oh, that's such a good name, too. It's a really creepy story. You would love to read The Yellow Wallpaper. I heard she was also intern Charlotte Perkins Gilman. <laughs> good one, Annie. <laughs> and she was really cool because she believed that women should have their own economic independence. So what she did was she made soap bar art design. What? Yeah. What does that even mean, soap bar? Like she carved creatures out of soap bars? Not as cool. She did like, <laughs> like you know, with beer bottles, you have like really beautiful artwork. She yeah. did that with soap. Oh, that's still pretty cool, though. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing you could still charge a lot of money for at the grocery store these days. Definitely a lot more arty. She was also a really saucy gal. Oh, yeah? Why? She was like, uh, before she married her husband, she told him to, like, never expect her to cook or clean. And definitely, like, it wouldn't be cool to ask her to sweep. (laughs) Really? Sweeping was, like, where she drew the line? No dusting, no sweeping. Wow. She was having none of it. Good for her. Mm -hmm. And then she also got a divorce, which was unheard of at the time. Wow. The first guy who she wouldn't sweep for? Yes. That guy. She ended up marrying her cousin, but she also had yeah. like an awesome romantic affair with this woman, which is like turn of the 20th century. So how did you first hear about her, Annie? Uh, I think I, we read about her in high school and then over the course of college. Wow. And I've never heard of this person. And Annie and I went to the same college. And I was an English major. <laughs> I really thought you were going to know her once you yeah, heard her name. No. I thought it might be tricky until then. Well, I've got some homework. Yep. Yeah. That's Greta's homework is to read the yellow wallpaper. And you could join her if you wish. It's a mm-hmm. short story. It's short homework. I've learned so many things. See, I maybe it's my shortcoming in short stories. Oh, I didn't mean for that to be a little pun, but it was pretty good, guys. Yeah. So intern Annie, thank you. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita, and Greta Johnson, along with Joe Dassault. As is abundantly clear now, our intern is Annie Newen. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. You can listen to us wherever you are because you're clearly already listening, but we would love it if you took the plunge and subscribed on iTunes or followed us on NPR One. You can also follow us on the WBEZ app. We would also like to thank Boxy Shasta, who has introduced us to the term Fraumance and also who like signed up for iTunes just so that she could give us a nice review, which is pretty much the coolest thing ever. Fraumance? Fraumance. You know, like bromance, but like German ladies. Fraumance? <laughs> I think it's great. I'm going to use it a lot. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, all the things at Nerdette Podcast. Nerdette is a production of WBEZ Chicago, where there are delightful podcasts for nerds of all stripes. You can find out more at WBEZ.org slash podcasts. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework.